So we are talking about living an undistracted life tonight, and last week this message opened, and some of you may have gotten something a little different than what you expected, because we came in and we talked a little bit about Psalm uh, 27, verse 4, which is a common scripture here in the house of prayer. In it, David, king of Israel, one of the greatest uh, generals in Israel's history, one of the greatest poets in Israel's history, wrote all the pop songs in his day, and served as a, and served in a priestly capacity before before the people, I mean, gifted in so many different ways. And this man who is gifted in so many different ways, he says very plainly, there's one thing I desire of the Lord. This one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to inquire in his temple and to gaze upon his beauty. And we talked about how in this passage, a lot of times people will talk about the aspect of one thing, right? We wanna be a people of one thing. We wanna people that reduce our lives down to what's the most important priorities. What are the things of eternal worth and value? But the word that was highlighted to me as I considered and meditated on that verse was this issue of desire. And oftentimes we cannot get to the one thing until we first get in touch with the desire that we have in our hearts. And we talked about in the conclusion of our message, the idea of blind Bartimaeus, right? And blind Bartimaeus was a person who was so filled with desire to see that he was able to push past all the obstacles of the naysayers that were in front of him. And his cry for mercy from the son of David actually caused Jesus to stop in his tracks. And he said, bring that man to me and what is it that you want? And so often I mention that with pastoral counseling and leading young people in internships or in the house of prayer, people will come and they'll say, you know, I wanna live a more spiritual life. I wanna serve God with my whole life. And the question I'll often ask that surprises them is what is it that you want? Now we know that we start with that question, right? But we don't end there because Once we've identified what we desire, we need to offer that back to the Lord and in his presence, we first discern desire, identify that desire, purify that desire by holding it in God's presence in the place of prayer, and then ultimately those desires are amplified. Does anyone remember, did anybody take good notes last week? Where is desire amplified? You can shout at me. I know I'm white, but you can shout back at me. (laughs) In the wilderness, thank you. Very, very good, sister. So in the wilderness, our desires are amplified, right? The father speaks to Jesus' desire, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately he goes and preaches in front of the crowds. No, from that place, he's immediately thrust into the wilderness. And it's in the place of hardship and adversity that God actually refines our desires and shows us what is in fact most important to us. And again, it's not until we actually have to suffer for the sake of believing something that we realize whether we actually believe it to our core, right? And so that was last week's message in in a nutshell, this issue of desire. But now once you've identified your desire, it's not just enough to feel it. It actually has to translate into the way you live. And that's what part two is going to be about today. How do you actually translate your desires into your lifestyle? I love the parable in the Sermon on the Mount. It says that two different people were building houses, right? And these two different people, there's a great kids video that my kids and I watch sometimes and it actually kind of brings this story to life. And the guy who builds on the sand is essentially lazy because it's not as difficult to build on sand because you don't have to work as hard to dig the foundation, right? And, and so he digs down um, just as much as he needs to. And he's in the story, my little girl's Bible story, he's laughing at the guy who's building at the rock because he's able to erect his building so much faster. And while he's erecting the building so rapidly on sand, the guy who's building on a sure foundation is still digging into the rock, right? And that's 
I think a lot of times how it can be for us as Christians too. We go, man, it would be a lot easier if I could just do, if I could just cheat, take advantage, lie, do things the way the world does. But here I am, you know, uh, David said it in the Psalms this way, why, do the, why does it always seem like the wicked prosper, right? And maybe I'm the only one who's ever had a little carnal jealousy where I go, man, I wish that I could just lay aside my Christian values for a moment. I'm sure that's just me, right? <laughs> lay aside my Christian values for a moment so I can, get, so I can actually just, just get angry and get the person to do, get the person, the attendant at the store to do what I want them to do right now with my anger, right? But because I'm a Christian, I've got to just, you know, restrain that and do what is, what is godly. And a lot of times it doesn't always get the result that we want, right, in, in, in the natural life. And that's a lot like the guy who's building on the sand. He wrecks his building and he's over there laughing at the guy who's having to dig deep down into the rock. But unfortunately, when you build on the sand, when a storm comes... And you're building your life that you're constructing isn't constructed on a sure foundation. If it's hastily constructed, Jesus says in the parable, the winds and the storm beat upon that house and it falls and great was the ruin of that house. And then he tells us something about the man who builds on the rock. He says, the one who builds on the rock is the one who hears the words that I'm speaking. But he doesn't just stop there, and this is probably the most important part of the parable and the part that I want you to hear that's most important concerning our message tonight. It's the one who hears what the man who, uh, hear, the one who builds on the rock is the one who hears what Jesus says, hears it, and does it. It actually says in the parable that both have heard the word. The difference between the one who builds on the sand and the one who builds on the rock is the one who do, is on the rock actually does what Jesus says look to somebody and say do what Jesus says I know that <laughs> I know that that is a really basic really basic lesson but the problem is that many of us don't fully apply that lesson in our lives right we we have so much teaching especially we have a church on every corner we have unprecedented availability of scripture and teaching through digital content that's online we have such accessibility to uh, language translations and bible translations i mean we are the most bible saturated teaching saturated especially in america culture in the world, probably in all of human history. Would you agree? So why does our culture not look radically transformed in comparison to previous cultures? Could it be because we do a lot of hearing but not a lot of doing? And could it be that we need ju not just grace to hear and understand but to actually apply what we understand in real life? And if there is a prayer that I want to pray for you guys tonight, it would be that we are not just hearers of God's word, but that we're doers. And that we translate the knowledge that we've accumulated into real lives that bring God a distinct glory when we take the things that we've learned and we apply them. When we learn to not just be a people of desire, um, but actually to be a people of transformation and change. And uh, that's what I'm hungry for. Probably my greatest heart's desire, the reason I do what I do, is because I want to be transformed into Christ's image. I want to reflect Jesus to all those around me in the goodness of who he is. I want people to believe that he's real and see that he's real when they look at my life and look in my eyes. I want to be like Jesus, and I hunger for that transformation. And I came to this conclusion along my journey that the fastest way to be changed into 
Jesus, to look like Jesus, what Jesus would look like in my present time, in my present life situation, is to look at Jesus. And when we get in his presence and we behold him, we become like him. And when we become like him, oh, hallelujah, right? The whole, that's how the whole world knows uh, who we are and, and what the substance of our lives really is. So I'm with David. One thing I've desired, the Lord, this one thing I'll seek, to dwell in the house of God, to inquire in his temple, to behold his beauty because it's there I'm changed into his image, but it's not just enough to go, I want that. That desire has to actually translate into a life that prioritizes that. And so that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's amazing. I read different uh, Christian books on discipleship, transformation, leadership. I was reading this great leadership book and they told a bunch of stories at the beginning that were so fascinating. They were amazing stories and it piqued my mind and stimulated my heart. How many of you love a good story, right? And then how many of you start to get a little bored when it gets into application? <laughs> don't we love, don't we love, especially in our charismatic circles, don't we love a good prophetic word? And don't we hate having to go home and practice that prophetic word, <laughs> right? There are times in my life where I'm going, I mean, I always want to hear what God's saying, but there's times in my life I go, I think I have enough words. I need to translate from hearing words into actually doing some of these words. Like I need to pray my life into some actual application, right? Because you have the revelation, interpretation, but then you have the application. And a lot of times, you know, the revelation is like the sweetness, you know, but you can't just live on the sweetness of the revelation. The revelation by the grace of God has to actually translate into the, the prophetic word about God using you in some way has to actually translate into a life of continuity with the word, right? Otherwise, you've just heard something, but you haven't done it. Otherwise, you just kind of built a life on the sand, right? Because that's what you know, you can hear. You can actually, and that's the danger of learning cultures. I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a, 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 a tangent, but I, I feel like it's something I have to caution us, Right? We can have such an opportunity to learn, 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 especially in our church environments, right? That we actually think in the learning that we've begun the doing and we haven't. What do I mean by that? I mean, we go to the spiritual gifts seminar, but we never actually go and pray for the sick or share a prophetic word. And we just go year after year to the seminar, we watch others operate in the gift, we get stirred to operate in it ourselves, but we never actually take the risk to step out and give the word to our coworker or to the person in our, our place of education or to the person who is our neighbor, right? We go to the evangelism seminar, we hear someone else practice how to share their faith, but we never actually share it with anyone around us. And I know that because I've been guilty of that, right? And because it's so much easier to learn and not take the courage and the energy, it's tiring to be, be doing things. It can feel good to learn, but it can be tiring to apply and do things. And so I just want to challenge us tonight. The things that you're hearing, there's going to be nuggets, I believe, that are from the Holy Spirit that are not just to stimulate you and go, oh, that's a good word, brother, but actually to take that nugget and go, how can I apply this in my life tomorrow before the end of the week? in the life of my family, amen. And I hope I give you some good stuff uh, that worth, is worth applying, amen, amen. So I wanna cut right to it. If you're taking notes or you're jotting things down in your phone, um, and I know any of you that are on your phone, I trust you're on your Bible app or you're taking notes, right? Or you're posting these great quotes on social media. Okay, that's what you're doing, good, Jeff, I believe you. Because we, we, in the series on undistracted, we definitely can't be distracted on our phones in the middle of it, right? 
So here's, I just wrote a synthesis of this, and if you're taking notes, just you can jot this down. Living a life that's undistracted means living a life in touch with your greatest God-given passions. That was last week's message. And then harnessing the time, relationships, and resources of your life to accomplish that core passion. Said in other words, living a life of focus that peels away the distractions is getting in touch with your God-given core passions and then harnessing the energy of your life to fulfill that mission and assignment, right? Said another way, even more simply, there's a lady named Ruth Haley Barton. I read a lot of her materials and go to some retreats with her. She said the purpose of leadership, and I would say even greater than that, the purpose of our Christian life is to discern and do God's will, right? To discern and do God's will. And I kind of took in that definition that I just gave three main areas that I want to just encourage you to think about. And we're not going to be able to drill down very deeply into each of these because I want us to have time to pray for one another tonight. But I think about the substance of our lives, okay? And maybe this will be just a helpful prayer for you and a helpful principle in how we actually apply ourselves to do our core passions. We essentially have lives that consist of three things, and I've added a fourth recently. And the three things, and I began to pray this a number of years ago, and I would pray, God, make me a good manager of time, resources, and relationships. Time, resources, and relationships. Because pretty much all of our lives consist of those three things on some level, okay? Time, resources, and relationships. And let me break down what I mean by each of those. Time is what you do day in and day out. It's the schedule that you have. It's the long-term goals sometimes that you set. And we have allotted, goodness, what is it? 24 times, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is it like 168 hours, something like that? Somebody help me. Is that 168? Is that right? Does that sound right? 168 hours a week and you subtract out the time you need to eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom, right? Because we can't escape our, our fallen nature, okay? So you got to eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. If you don't take care of those things, you're not going to be able to do anything else very well, okay? And then there's a certain amount of time that you have to give to your family, hopefully in the, the sequence of your prioritization. And then you have to do work so that you can pay for your home and your food. And, and, that's, and that's, for most of us, then we have a little bit more time that we can serve in our church or serve a neighbor or take care of the needs of a friend. Or, and we have these, that's basically the substance of most people's lives is you, we all have the same amount of time and we have to manage that time, right? Then we have our resources and the resources can include our natural talents, the money in our bank account, the home that God has given us, the car that we drive, and those are resources we have to steward and make decisions in how we're gonna use, right? So time, resources, and then ultimately you have your relationships. You have your family, your close friendships, your uh, relationships with acquaintances and those in your community, and then you have the stranger, right? And we have different tiers of relationship, and we have different priorities even within that, okay? And here's what I want to tell you, and this may be hard for different personality types. By the way, if any of you are wondering, if you're going, man, he sounds like really ordered and like he's thought about this with a lot of intensity, I have. But the reason for that is because I'm motivated by desire, not because it's naturally what I'm prone to. I am, in fact, an ENFP. ENFPs in the Myers-Briggs means you're extroverted, which means I am bubbly and charming. It means that we are... Uh, intuitive, which means if you ask me a question, I'm going to think of the wildest possible answers and all kinds of out-of-the-box possibilities. I am a feeler, so I feel strongly, uh, and I make my decisions based on my feelings. 
And then a P is perceiving that has to do with your lifestyle. Um, and it means that I don't like rigid and structured things. I like to be spontaneous. Today, in fact, I spontaneously decided to clean my garage. And I cleaned the whole thing in three hours. And it was awesome. Do you know, though, if I had many people, like, they, planning actually helps them. But me doing it spontaneously, it was perfect. And we organized everything, and it was awesome. And I felt like it was actually a prophetic picture for even the teaching tonight, right? Because I feel like now that I've removed the distraction of all the clutter in there, we're actually going to use the things that we have in there a lot more, right? Sometimes getting rid of the things that you don't need actually allows you to utilize the things you do have to a better better potential. And I think that's going to be a picture for some of you as you apply the things that we're talking about tonight. You're going to get rid of the things that, yeah, that's cool, but I've never used it, Right? It's, uh, I've never made the time to do that. It's, it's, it's something that's a desire in my heart, but it's not as important as the other things. I'm just going to push this thing to the side so that I can focus on what is most important. And that's the power of prioritization. So I say all that to say to my ENFP brothers and sisters who are stressed out even by the categorization of how I described your life, don't sweat it, okay? Because if I can do it, I promise you, you can do it. And it all starts with getting in touch with that desire. And for my ISTJ brothers and sisters, those of you who know Myers-Briggs, you know what that means. You guys are the type A personalities. You guys are loving this. You're taking orders. You're doing it on Harvard, Roman numeral, Roman numeral A, point one. You're wanting to get my notes after the message. And anytime I go off track from my notes, thankfully I don't give you the notes just so I don't stress you guys out. For you guys, you're, you're loving this because many times you're already living this way in many ways, but the reality is you need to be more in touch with your desire. So this message, you know, it might, be, it might be a struggle for some of you, but I promise you the grace of God is available. If I can do it, you can do it. Okay, close parentheses and let's move on with the message. So I want to encourage you, though, as you think about the structure of your life, time, resources, relationships, begin to pray and ask God to make you a good manager of those things. And so why is that important, Right? Because God has given you the life that he's given you and only you can steward it. God has given you the life that he's given you and only you can steward it. And if you're not intentional about making decisions with your time, resources, and relationships, then life will happen to you and make those decisions for you. I'll say that again, right? Because guess what? Your money, how many of you know this? Your money will spend itself if you don't make a budget. Right? I've never, I've never spent less money because I, I didn't have a budget. Right? I was never more efficient with my time because I didn't have a schedule. I was never more prudent with my resources when I didn't consider what they were and how to utilize them. Okay? So measuring and evaluating what you have and how you can deploy it, that intentionality always causes you to steward and utilize what you have better. And what do I mean by better? I mean more in line with the purpose and will of God for your life. Are you guys with me so far? Time, resources, relationships. Your life, only you can steward the life that God has given you. You're responsible for those three things. And I'm going to take it up a notch on you guys. I'm going to say you're responsible for those things, not just so you can live your best life in this life. And you can maximize your returns and maximize your potential and maximize your impact, though that's good. Okay, the stewardship of your life is all about maximizing God's glory in this life and ultimately your eternal rewards. Okay, because Jesus says very plainly in Matthew 6 that it's wisdom for us to give money generously because when we give generously, right, we store up money in heaven. Who's ever read that Bible verse before? 
Okay, so if we believe that Bible verse, that means that if we give more in the earth of our resources, there's going to be more reward for us when we get to heaven, right? And we believe that, okay. So that reality that there could be more reward for us, more reward for us in the day we stand before Jesus because of how we've stewarded our life, that should be the motivation that drives us to actually budget our finances so we can give more, okay? And it's living in touch with those desires and how they'll ultimately impact our eternity that helps us make prudent decisions. Can I tell you guys a story this week? My daughter and I have been listening to the biography of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was an incredible missionary. She went and saved women out of temple prostitution in the nation of India. She lived there for 50 years. And she took hundreds of children out of that lifestyle. She was a young Irish woman. And for a season, she served the poor in Ireland and then moved to England and then eventually moved to Japan. And then from Japan, she moved to India. But early on in her life, she had one of the most formative experiences of a 15-year-old girl. She was leaving her church. And as she's walking down the street, a woman came out of a side door who was incredibly impoverished and uh, a beggarly woman and was um, old and had trouble walking. And her and her brothers began to walk alongside her and help this, this older woman. And then the well-dressed people that were coming from her church began to pass by her on the sidewalk. And one family even crossed to the other side of the street to avoid being uh, next to this impoverished woman. And she could feel people's judgment because her social class uh, caused her to, within that time in Victoria and England, caused her to uh, bear some reproach for being seen with someone that was destitute. And she began to feel that embarrassment. And so as she and her brother helped the old woman down the alley, when she saw other people in church pass by, she was embarrassed and she continued to walk with the beggar. Amy noticed a fountain in the center of the road. Isn't it incredible that at any moment God can break in and, and release a life-defining moment to a person? I pray for these suddenlies for myself, for my family, for my daughters, for each person in this room that you would have a suddenly with God like such as this. She sees the fountain. She studies it closely. And much as Moses heard a voice from a burning bush, from the midst of the fountain, she actually hears an audible voice. And the voice spoke a paraphrase of a scripture. And the voice that she hears as she's walking with this beggar is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. The fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the foundation survives, he will receive reward. She actually heard it so audibly that she turned thinking someone was speaking to her, but no one was there. And Amy knew that she had appeared uh, kind by helping the woman, but she knew that her heart was wrong. From that moment on, she returns to her home, reads the verses from the Bible, opens the Bible, and finds where it is in 2 Corinthians 3.11, and she decided she would never be ashamed to help the poor again in her life. And she found that verse in Scripture, and she would, for the rest of her life, bear reproach because of her association with the poor, but she would do it without fear because of that experience, because she knew that she was building a life that would endure the testing of God's fire. 1 Corinthians 3.11, I want to go to that verse because that story has caused me to meditate and think on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, when we put our faith in the gospel, the foundation of our house is laid, even as Jesus' parable that I mentioned earlier explains. That is the only foundation. That is the only way in which we can have our sins forgiven is through faith in the person of Jesus. 
But then we have to choose how do we build on that foundation? What kind of life do we want to build? We know plenty of people that they make a confession of Jesus. They devote their life in some manner of Jesus. And this is true of all of us. But yet we have shortfallings, stumblings, ways in which we don't live with the lordship of Jesus in every single area of our lives, right? And we're in a constant process of surrender. And this Bible, this Bible verse describes how in the day that we're all tested, that day will actually bring to light the quality of what we built on the foundation of Christ. And it says that it will be revealed as though a fire burns through the house we've constructed. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even as the one escaping through the flames. So I ask you today, right, are you building with gold, silver, and precious things? Are you building with wood, hay, or stubble? Because I promise you, we all like to think we're ones building with gold, silver, and precious things, but what if from reality you're building with wood, hay, and stubble, right? What if, just consider for a moment, what if there's a possibility that you're actually building your life in Christ, but when you appear before Jesus, that what you built will not actually be rewarded in eternity because you did it with a selfish heart, or you did it for material gain, or you did it because whatever reason, because you, you did it out of a false motive, right? And so I pray for us that we would have an ability by the Holy Spirit to discern how can I live a life with gold, silver, and precious things. And I think part of that is living the values of the kingdom of God, the values that we find in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think a life fashioned in gold and silver and precious things is about embodying those values in the way we live, amen? But as we, as we go through life and we embody those values, right, there's also a reality, okay, that we have to steward that God is, the life that God has given us to maximize the very things he's entrusted to us, whether it's our finances, our time, our resources, our emotional energy. All of those things are finite. All of those things are limited. So how are you leveraging those things to accomplish your God-given passion? And how are you ordering life, your life to accomplish those things, Right? And so we consider that, that there is an eternal day in which we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our life will be evaluated as a believer, okay? And my, my prayer is that my life would be ordered in a way that on that day I would receive maximum reward because I will have built with gold, silver, and precious things. A similar encounter to the story that was described with Amy Carmichael actually happened to Mike Bickle, the leader of the House of Prayer in Kansas City, 1978. In a time of prayer, he had a vision of himself before the throne of God. And God actually speak to him and said, Mike, your life is saved. He said, I'm sorry, you are saved, but your life is wasted. And Mike protested, he said, you have the wrong person. Uh, and then the thought came strongly to me, Mike says, it's impossible to manipulate Jesus. And I cried, can I have another chance? And the next thought that came strongly to me was Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto a person to die once and then comes judgment. And he said, I wept in the vision with profound sense of loss and regret. And then suddenly I was awake on my knees next to my bed. 
And out of that phrase, saved but wasted, Mike began to steward his life and his time and his energy in an entirely different way because he did not want to stand before God having heard those words. And there should be a sobriety that sets over us as we hear that. And a consideration, am I building with wood, hay, and stubble, or am I building with gold, silver, and precious things? Am I saved, but my life is actually wasted, or am I living a life that is worthy of the Lord? Only the wisdom of God can truly tell us. Only the power of the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts can answer that question for us. But my prayer for us is that we would if there's some place that's out of alignment, that I would hear about it now rather than on the day I appear before the Lord. I want that realignment now in the priorities of my life and my finances and my energy. You know, there are things, I believe God holds us to a higher standard to the things that only we can do, okay? Meaning, I can be a minister in a church, but I'm the only one that can be a husband to my wife. I can be someone who goes out and ministers to people evangelistically or I'm a person that could lead worship, but I'm the only one that can be a father to my children, right? And so if in my relationships I misprioritize, I think there's gonna be a higher standard of judgment when I appear before the Lord for the things that he has called me to do expressly in my covenant to my wife and to my family, right? And so... I believe that part of avoiding building with wood, hay, and stubble is that I wouldn't build a large ministry where I disciple lots of other people, but I leave my children undiscipled. That's not building with gold, silver, and precious things. So I have to order time, resources, and relationships. I have to order my relationships, and sometimes I have to say, no, I'm sorry, young person. You are not as much of a priority as my daughter in this case. I don't have the emotional energy to give to you and to give to you. I wish I did, but I don't. And so I have to consider my daughter has to be the priority because no one else is going to be her father. And that's what it means, I think, to build with gold, silver, and precious things, to live a life that is prioritized and considered. And guess what? If you don't make that determination as a minister or as a person in your work or as a teacher in a school, guess what? Life will try and make that decision for you and the tyranny of the urgent We'll leave your child undiscipled and we'll leave a lot of other people who are trying to get their needs met through you uh, only partially satisfied. That's why we have to live lives that are ordered and prioritized in my cry to God. God, make me a good manager of time, resources, and relationships. So I've kind of set the table and now you're going, okay, oh my goodness. I do not want to build with wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, you got me. All right, there's a judgment seat of Christ. I do not want to appear on that day, saved but wasted. And now tell me, what do I do? Like, is there a scheduling app I can use? Or <laughs> what's, what do you tell me to do to, to be more effective with what God has given me? How can I be a better steward of what you've been entrusted? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's the, the closing part of my message. But the last thing I want to say is if you feel that tremble in you as I'm unpacking all of that, you know, man, that's scary to think that I would appear before the judgment seat of God and a lot of the things that I thought were good may not be good, okay? The Bible says the fear of the Lord actually brings wisdom. Psalm 90 actually says, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's that idea of measuring and ordering, right? 
And so God is perfect love. And if you founded your life on the foundation of Christ, when you come into his presence, there will be both perfect love in that moment and also an unshakable, penetrating, and accurate judgment of your life and how you've lived your life, right? And the consideration of that day should both give us a confidence, glory to God, I'm going to enter into eternity with him forever, but also a a concern, right? Because that eternity is determined by how I live today. This is the internship, beloved. You only get one chance at it, right? And then when we appear, it's it appointed for men to live one, men and women to live one life. And when that life is complete, then comes the judgment of that life. And all of us at some level are going to suffer loss and have gain in that day. How many of you want to maximize the gain, right? Okay, good. So hide the word of God in your heart, build on the foundation of Christ, have a healthy fear of the Lord and consider the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be a good place to close though. I do want to say this. This is very much about what Jeff preached this morning, right? If you're going, where do I start with living a life that's more ordered? It is Colossians 1.9. God, fill me with the knowledge of your will in wisdom and spiritual understanding that I would have a walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to your glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. The way I break down that prayer is God, tell me what to do so I can have a life that does what you tell me to do and then give me strength so I can keep doing what you told me to do. That's basically <laughs> the three points that Paul prays there for the church in Colossae. I'm always praying for you that you would know what to do, that you would do what you know what to do, and that you would keep doing what you know what to do, right? And if we pray, God, give me wisdom then in those moments, you'll, get to, you'll have discernment and you'll go, oh, I know that it's God's will for me to do this instead of this. And then you'll do that in obedience to what God's revealed and you'll have a walk worthy of him and you'll be pleasing to him, which is what we all want more than anything, right? And you'll know in that moment, man, someone gave me a huge, I, I, I got a financial blessing recently. And you'll know in that moment, this part's to save, this part's to give, this part's to spend, Right? And, I'll, and you'll do that in obedience to God. And as you do that with your finance, with your resource, with your time, at different moments you'll go, okay, it's time to give up that assignment and it's time to take up another one. And that's what it means to live a life of wisdom. I love Proverbs 3.13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Happy is the man who gains understanding. Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. Her gains more than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies. How many would... Love to have some fine gold. We're actually gonna hand out some fine gold at the doors today at the end. Of, I'm just kidding. That would be awesome though, wouldn't it? That would be like the best visual illustration of any service you've ever gone to in your life if we handed out some rubies, some gold, and some silver at the back door. Would you be excited about that service? I know I would be, right? Thank you, David, for your on. David's like, I would be totally excited. Okay, but then what if on the other side, right, as you're exiting, the gold we gave you at the... We gold we gave you at the door. You actually had the opportunity. Jesus sends his heavenly angels to the back door. Okay, humans give you gold on this side, but the angels say, hey, I'll give you some wisdom if you'll give me the gold. This verse is telling you, you'll actually be, you'll get a better exchange if you trade your gold in for wisdom. 
Wisdom is actually, so many of us seek after, that's why Solomon uses this metaphor. So many of us are seeking after riches, treasure, gold, silver, and rubies. I mean, I can't think of, that's like what, that's like what is in Aladdin's cave, right? I mean, that's, when you see the cartoon, that's what's piled high. That's what every human heart goes, oh, I get some gold, silver, rubies, some treasure. That would be awesome. Do you know my grandfather, he actually had coin collections and he actually had precious gems and stones. He would take me down into his, uh, he had a safe in his basement, okay? He was, uh, I loved DuckTales because Scrooge McDuck reminded me of my grandfather um, (laughs) because he had his vault of gold that he would swim in. So he didn't quite have a vault of gold, but he had a coin collection down there and he would take me down there and he would show me his coins and his precious stones. And so when I think about this, I think about the things that my grandfather found precious, the things that he passed on as uh, an inheritance, the things that have a, a intrinsic beauty. And he's saying wisdom is more precious than the most beautiful ruby, stone, gold, silver, you've ever received. Godly wisdom is better. It actually says length of days is in her hand and riches and honor. Her ways are pleasantness, all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all those who retain her. It says elsewhere, in all you're getting, in all the things you get in life, in all your appetites, if there's one thing you should crave, it's godly wisdom. So how do you, so if the concluding point right, of how do I steward my life in order to actually gain wisdom? How do you actually get that wisdom? And this is the point I'm going to leave with, and you guys can go ahead and stand. The worship team can come up. How do you get wisdom? Go ahead, everybody, just to your feet. We're going to pray here in a moment. How do I actually lay hold of wisdom? So it doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen because you heard a message on it or a service on it. And it doesn't happen just because you want wisdom, right? The wanting isn't simple enough, but there is something that we can do that unlocks wisdom that is so simple we often fail to do it. Do you guys want to know what that is? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask And it says, you will never bear reproach. That phrase, never bear reproach, when you ask for wisdom, if you lack wisdom in anything, ask and God will give it generously and bear no reproach. That means there's never a stupid question. There's never a stupid question in heaven. A lot of the challenge is, your question, you may not be asking God about it. The place where you're unsure how to have a resolution you think you already know the answer and actually what you need to do is ask. So how do you build, now if you wanna get real practical, how do you build the asking for wisdom into your life? I'll give it to you real quick. Prayerful consideration of goals and priorities, reflection and recalibration. If you wanted the three point process, this is how I've done it in my life. Prayerful reflection of goals and priorities, the asking for wisdom. I do it on a quarterly basis. You might find that you want to do it every single month. You might find it that you take little times and do it in your devotional. But prayerful consideration, goals and priorities. Every good preaching message has to have at least your like three points, right? So there's your three points for you. Prayerful consideration of goals and priorities for my ISTJs who are still taking notes diligently. Reflection on those goals and priorities and then recalibration. How am I doing in my finances? If I never pray about it, reflect on it, 
and then recalibrate according to what I've heard. If I'm just so busy spinning my wheels that I never actually check the GPS locator to see where I am on course to my destination, right? Sometimes you can end up taking the long way unintentionally. So prayerful consideration of your goals, reflection and recalibration. Ask of wisdom and God will give it to you generously. Pray Colossians 1.9. God, fill me with the knowledge of your will and wisdom and spiritual understanding that my walk would be worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. So I believe something miraculous is gonna happen tonight. There's actually a gift of the spirit. It's a pretty awesome one, the word of wisdom. That means when you don't know what to do, you suddenly would know what to do as a spiritual gift, right? And I believe tonight, God put it in my heart. He said, I wanna impart the word of wisdom to people tonight. I want to actually release, if, if you have an area where you have not been able to see past the difficulty and, and you need wisdom to see past what is obstructing your circumstance, obstructing you from doing the will of God, I believe God wants to release wisdom that actually allows you to enter into the heavenly solution for your problem, whatever it might be. And sometimes that's spiritual and sometimes that's incredibly practical, Right? So all of us have those areas in our hearts and minds. I want you to put that right now before the Lord. And worship team, you guys can begin to play. I want you to put that before the Lord right now. Where is the area where you need God to release wisdom, to bring alignment to your life? Where is that place where perhaps it's time, perhaps it's resources, perhaps it's relationships, perhaps it's the energy of your life? Where is it that you have need tonight? And where is it that God's wisdom can be the thing that makes the difference? There is no stupid question in heaven before God's throne. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. And that wisdom will allow us to be fully pleasing. It will actually allow us to take hold of the tree of life. It's the wisdom that will give us a life that is built of gold, silver, and precious things a wisdom that prepares our life for eternal reward. So we wanna pray for you tonight. Our ministry team wants to pray. If you need wisdom, if you want that impartation of God's wisdom for how to lead the life that he has given you to steward, I wanna invite you forward so we can pray for you. You can come now. Lord, even as people set foot in this altar, begin to download solutions to them, Lord. Begin to touch their spirits with grace, God. If they need a heavenly solution to a problem that they can't see past, I pray let that solution drop in their spirit even in this moment, God. We ask, release the gifts of your spirit in this place, Lord. Make us good managers of our time, our resources, our relationships. Let us steward our lives with a wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord. In all of our getting, God, help us to get wisdom, Lord. Literally, the, the thoughts and the heart and the mind of Christ just filling us as we go through our days. And now, in this moment right now, those in the altar and those across the room, Begin to put a prayer of petition on your lips. God, give me wisdom. And it says the only thing that can hinder it is a double-mindedness, is a lack of confidence that God wants to give it to you. His word makes it plain. Any area where you lack wisdom, any area where you have a need, any area where you need God to speak to you, 
Let it happen, Lord. Let it happen right now. In Jesus' name, release wisdom. In Jesus' name, touch hearts and minds. Give fresh direction, inspiration. Fill them with the knowledge of your will. In Jesus' name we pray.